0: I just feel the notion to go right into the message this morning from this Because the message is going to explain why the miracle worker can be present and we don't see the miracles We can't work up a miracle by having a nice song that reaches and touches our heart and we get excited about it, the anointing might be there, maybe it's not, we get all excited this song leads to this or that song leads to that and we don't see anything happening I don't know about you but that bothers me as believers we can't be afraid to ask ourselves why I was talking to a young man this week and he said I'm having questions with my faith, I said that's okay There's nothing wrong with asking yourself questions about your faith. God gave us a brain, right? God doesn't want robots. He wants people that are fully committed and devoted to Him. And there's a reason that we don't see signs, wonders, and miracles, I believe. Because I've been seeking God about this for some time, and I know many of you do the same thing. But personally, I'm sick and tired of hearing about Smith Wigglesworth. Now, I'm not disrespecting him. That he's awesome. Was awesome. Or Catherine Kuhlman. Those same things should be happening in our churches every Sunday morning. On Wednesday nights, they should be happening. In small groups, they should be happening. On Zoom, they should be happening. We actually experienced that on Zoom when, one Thursday night. The presence of God just filled everyone's house. And no one wanted to leave. How long were there? 30, 45 minutes? We just sat there and kind of looked at each other. You know, it's kind of you get to the place where you don't know what to do. You know, if you feel like if you do anything, God's going to kill you. You know, (laughs) he's going to knock you out if you do anything because nothing's going to be appropriate. But it's time if we want to see what we're praying to see. We want to see revival, don't we? Well, revival is more than a meeting. It's more than a conference. It's more than a prayer meeting. Revival is when the presence of God brings transformation to a region, to a community. If a church building has revival, revival really hasn't happened. If it hasn't gone outside the doors. It really hasn't. I don't know about you, but I I mean, I know a lot of you are passionate about this whole concept of the presence of God bringing change into our lives and into our community. You know, I, I can't hardly read the news anymore. Listen to it. It's discouraging, isn't it? But God... But we find our encouragement in him because we have to believe what the word says. And we're going we're to declare what we believe about the word of God. I want you to stand up and let's l- declare this together. If you got your Bible, hold your Bible up in whatever form you have it. It's just as holy on your iPad as it is in this paper. The word is the word, right? <laughs> this is my Bible. Let's do it together. It came from the breath of God. It is His holy word spoken to me. It is the wisdom of God revealed to me. I reign in life by His kingdom revelations. I am everything it says I am. I can do everything it says I can do. It is a guide to my life. It lights up the pathway I walk. It is absolute truth. It brings life. Let's say amen. Yes. You know, in Timothy it says that it is God breathe. The Word of God is God breathe. All Scripture is God breathe. That means it, it actually came right out of the voice of God, out of the wind of His mouth. Every word, and Holy Spirit spoke through men to write the Word of God. So it is very, very important that we understand the power and the authority that the Word has. I was praying this morning, and I kept re- the Lord reminded me. In First John it says, if you Ask anything according to my will, it'll be done. So, so we ask according to his will, but do we ask in faith believing? Do we ask in confidence? You know, there's, there's a book we're starting to read on Tuesday called uh, The Paths of Power, right? A.W. Tozer. That's so, said, this is a plug for Tuesday night, face to face. We move from Thursday to Tuesday. But it says there's a place beyond consecration. And there's a place beyond commitment. That's that place called confidence. You move past confirmation, you move past sanctification into this place called confidence. And in that place called confidence is the place where there are no delays. It's the place where in God's perfect timing. It's the place where we don't ask anything outside of the will of God. It happens in God's timing and you rest in that. You don't even have to think, oh, God, when's God going to happen? No, you, you're so in sync with God that you just flow with him and you know it's his timing, right? We need to get to that point. That's when revival is going to come, not just localized church meetings. Those, not, nothing wrong with those, but what do they do at the end of the day? Have cities been transformed? Has schools been changed? Has our government become righteous instead of unrighteous and unholy as it is today? What have we seen? Has churches begun to speak the truth and the power of God? So this message was planted in my heart a couple of weeks ago as we were just reading through our Bible. I'll tell you, there's value in reading through the Bible. It may sound routine, but let me tell you, the disciplines are extremely important because the disciplines put us in a place where the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts. Don't fall for that all over the disciplines are just legalistic. No, they're not. You get up and you brush your teeth. Is that legalistic? No. You take a shower every day, I hope. Is that legalistic? No. But why do we say, well, reading the Bible every day, praying every day, those are not legalistic. It's putting ourselves in a place where the grace of God can work in our lives and reveal things that are in our heart that he wants to pull out and change. We say it all the time. He only reveals to heal. He only reveals to heal. So when God shows you something, ask yourself what's in your heart that he's trying to deal with. Let me tell you, there's one little five-letter word that usually is founded on, and that's P-R-I-D-E, pride. Pride. But as I said, I believe it's the time we ask ourselves some hard questions. Why don't we see what the Word of God promises You know, we'll have one little pocket here. Somebody will get healed there. We had had a healing four years ago. We had a healing three years ago. Again, a couple people are feeling better. I don't see that in Scripture. And if we settle for anything less than what we see in Scripture, it's compromise. Then we're not pushing into God hard enough. Right, Aubrey? Aubrey's asking that same question. We see a lot of this happening, good things happening in third world nations. And I believe it's because they don't have the toys that we have. That's what I think the third world nation does not have the toys that we have. And I thought about some of the statistics of late, and you've heard me say it a thousand times. I'm not going to get off of it until the number changes. Six percent of people who proclaim Christianity really don't have a biblical worldview. So how in the world can they believe the word if they don't believe it? If they don't believe that God is real and God's word is truth, how can we expect to see miracles? And don't tell me some of that 94% is not preaching in pulpits. Hello? You know, I think people can do a lot of things that please God. Activities. But I think their hearts are filled with idols and shrines. And things that we exalt ourselves to. Other than God. And I think we may be deceived into believing. We may not even be aware of those things. And we have the word of God and and the word of God very clearly gives us requirements. So I thought I was free. You're free to obey. This is what the word of God tells us to do. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow him. Do we? He tells us to obey by loving the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And then loving others just as much as we love ourselves. Do we? We're told to be pure and humble and chaste in our lifestyle and in our attitudes. Do we? How many Christians fill the movie theaters? I sound like a 1930s pastor, don't I? A preacher. Well, I'm telling you, it's time to get back to some of the foundations. But how many believers spend their money perpetrating the filth that's coming out of Hollywood? The cultural mountain of media and entertainment and arts. And we wonder, God, why are you not in our services? Well, we were just, last night you were in the devil's services. Who do you want? We're told to repent, but do we? Repent means that not just saying, oops, sorry. Repent means I'm turning 180 degrees away from what I did. It's a thought process. It's not just coming and kneeling. That's great. That's a good start. But when we get up, we turn and go 180 degrees in the other direction. We're told to pray, but do we? Most churches will tell you that it's the least attended service in the church. That doesn't mean you have to come to church to pray. But let me tell you, this is what I believe. Could be wrong. If you're praying at home, you're going to want to come to church and pray. There's power in corporate prayer. We're told not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, but yet we get scared to death to come to church. I have people all the time, well, I don't want to be in around gatherings, and some people shouldn't be. I'm not saying that. But if you can go everywhere else, you can come to church. So we say, God, you said not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, but we have COVID going on. Well, did you go to work? Did you go to Walmart? Did you go to Food Lion? You're going to love me or hate me after this message, okay? We're told to forgive, but do we? We're told to meditate on the word day and night, do we? Oh, everything I put in my hands to prospers, but yet I'm still consorting with all the wicked advice of the world. I'm still hanging out with sinners. I'm still getting my advice from sinners. Why well, don't hang around any sinners? You're getting your advice from the media if they're telling you you don't need to be in church. You're getting your advice from the ungodly. We're told not to fellowship with works of darkness. This is all I could think of. Y'all might have some more. Do we? And why not? So why this lesson? This lesson, number one, is because it's really not working. Now, the, I'm not talking about the real church. The real church works. I'm talking about this thing, this organization that we have called church. Why don't we see, or we do not see what the Bible promises, so we explain away the word. Well, God doesn't require that any longer. Well, everybody's doing that. This is a new culture. This is a new day. Well, I've got to be entertained. Everybody's got to have their own needs met. I mean, how many times have I heard that about Immorality. Satisfying immorality. I think God figured all that out. The word's not relevant. God changes. God says, I never change. I never change. If he said it was wrong 2,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, it's wrong today. It's wrong today. It's just as wrong today. And if wronger was a word, I'd use it. (laughs) Wronger. I don't know if that's a word or not. Number two. Our prayers are not getting the results as promised in Scripture, Matthew eighteen nineteen. Any two agree about anything, it'll be done for you. Why can't we believe that? If any two agree, that word means to come in symphony, to come in harmony with. But are we, number one, in harmony with what God desires? How about speaking to our mountains? You ever speak to the mountains in our life? I, I was amazed. The other day, somebody told me somebody was collecting $4,400 a month in unemployment. Well, husband between husband and wife. $550 a week each. Able-bodied people. And we no, wonder why we go to places and there's a sign-up sign up bonus to work at McDonald's. For Pete's sakes, give me a break. Do we speak to the mountain of debt, of poverty, of sickness? Or just run and grab the pill. You're going to love me or hate me, okay? I believe it's the word. Number three, the organized church is anemic. And it does not withhold the influences of hell. But rather the church in many cases has embraced it. I'm not talking about the real church. I'm talking about church at large. and organized church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, said the gates of hell will not... Prevail against the church. And yet the church has embraced the very themes and the very aspects of that that is demonic. I was reading in Galatians last night where Paul said, I'm surprised that you've so quickly fallen away to a, a false doctrine. I'm surprised that you've so quickly fallen away. See, I'm not trying to beat anyone over the head, I'm just trying to get us to walk in victory. So we can bring, so we can bring the glory of God, and we can be those living gateways in Psalm 24 that it says we can be, that we can be those living portals, those those what we just sang about. That's what I'm wanting to see happen in our church and in our city. I'm wanting to see Paul Costa's word about the glory of God flowing out of this place and down the streets of Concord, and the addicts being set free. That's what I want to see because it's Bible, it's Bible. See, God promises to bring sin refreshing, doesn't He? But do we want it badly enough? We see pockets of revival throughout the years. The, prob- the problem with past revivals is that every one of them stopped. We see a handful of people who are considered healing revivalists. And that's great, they're wonderful, and they should give everybody hope. But they paid a price for it. You study their lives. They didn't just come and whenever they wanted to come and pray when they wanted to pray and spend eight hours a day in front of computers and screens. Eight hours and 41 minutes is the average, by the way, today. that somebody that we people spend in front of a screen. We see crowds accept Jesus, but there's no real transformation. Where's the power? And what is robbing the church of power? And I believe the devil is at war with those of us who are serious about this walk with God. There's no doubt in my mind. If you're not at war with the enemy, then you're not doing it right. But let me tell you, it's the most exciting thing in the world because you've already won. See, you've already won. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. I've got three different translations for this. The NLT says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the very course of your life. And then in the Passion says, above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. For from there flows the wellspring of life. What is our innermost being? It's our heart. See, we've heard for years that the battleground of the mind. No, it's the battleground of the heart. And they're two different things, really. They're two different things. And it's very easy to get caught up when the mind, the heart, antics. It's very easy to get caught up. And my personal belief is that the mind is that is very closely controlled or connected to the soul. And maybe it's the same thing. The, the mind, the will, the emotions, the intellect, the thoughts. That's the mind, the soul. The brain is that tangible, quantifiable, weighable organ in our body that kind of houses it all. But the heart is something very special. The heart is something that was created at creation. It's that place that God has placed inside of us that nothing else has the right to. It's that place of, of intimacy with God. It's the place where only He can feel or is supposed to feel. That's what the devil's after. That's what the enemy wants. It's that part that can be so invaded by a things that we set our affections on. It's the affections of the heart that get us into problems. And in Proverbs 4.23, it says, because the heart controls the course of our life, the heart is going to control our mind, our will, our emotions, our thoughts. So the purpose of the heart is devotion to God. That's the purpose of the heart. So we can get in here and we can sing all we want to. We can go through the motions. and I'm not... You judge your own heart. I mean, everybody's different. I'm not trying, not not drawing any conclusions on anything. I know. I just know from experience. You can get in here and sing all you want to, but that doesn't make it worship. That word devotion. Let me just tell you what Dr. David Seaburn out of Psychology Today says. The word devotion means it's the melding of one with another. It is more than commitment. It is communion. That's what devotion is. The early church was devoted to what? To the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to sharing. Let me tell you what the commentaries say. That means obstinately persistent, constancy, perseverance. And the heart of the true believer is devoted only to God. You say, what does that look like? I'm going to show you. It's going to make you look real fanatical, let me tell you. And you're going to get laughed at, and you're going to be called a religious fanatic. Bring it on. I don't care. I'd rather be called a religious fanatic than somebody that's walking around playing like I'm a Christian and don't have no power to do anything. You know, in John 16, he said, The evil genius is coming. He has nothing in me. Nothing in me belongs to me, him. He has no power over me. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, My heart is so purely devoted to God, the devil has nothing in me. And to the degree that our heart is, has been committed to affection for other things will be the degree of power that we have operating in our life. So if our heart is devoted halfway to God, I think you get zero power, honestly. It's all or nothing with him. I don't think he has a meter and says, okay, we're going to get 50% healing today. I don't, think, I don't believe that. It's all or nothing. You love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Let's look at some lessons from the kings. This is where this came from. I'm going to look at 1 Kings first. 1, 1 Kings first, chapter 11. This is about Solomon, the wisest man in the world. The wisest man in the world wrote all the proverbs and songs and all this he did. And this is verse 5. It says, Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely. As his father David had done on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Shemos, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. The wisest man of the world who said, God, I just want wisdom to rule your people. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to the gods. The the Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel who had appeared to him twice, he had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods. Has God ever warned us about worshiping other things? Let me tell you, they're not sitting on your mantle at home. They're not sitting on your, they're sitting on the mantle of your heart. One of the definitions for shrine, by the way, is an inner place. Inner place. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command because his heart had affection for his wives. He had 700 wives, I think. Is that right? Huh? Lord have mercy. Now listen to this. This is the consequences. Keep in mind that God had promised David that as long as your people are obedient, there's going to be someone from your lineage on the throne. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you. Solomon's destiny was the kingdom. Our destinies can be torn away from us because of what's in our heart. Because we have affections that are not holy after God, we can lose our destiny. Every one of us, Psalm 139 tells us every day of our life was written in a page of his book. Every day of our life. God has a plan for you every day of your life. But we can lose God's plan and God's destiny because we have things occupying our hearts. Let me just tell you about these gods. See if they sound familiar. This is out of my blog back in January twenty one. The chief characteristics of these gods were sexual perversion and depravity. Have you ever seen anything in our nation like the perversion that's going on in our nation? I I saw the thing about the gay choir saying we're coming after your children. Can you believe this in this nation? And we raise our eyebrows, but do we pray about it? Do we come against the powers of evil? Remember, we have authority over all the miracle working powers of the enemy. Do we ever pray about that? Oh, that's just way it'll go away. No, it's not going away. It's here today because the Christians 20 and 30 and 40 years ago thought it was going away. While they were sleeping, this is what's taken over our nation. It's time for the church to rise up and become the church. Sexual perversion and depravity. Human sacrifice, especially of children and general idolatry. Young children, listen to this, were sacrificed to placate the gods of Baal and were often buried at the foundation of buildings at the time of construction. It was like an offering to the God. My child, my son. After they were burned alive. You say, we would never do that. Let me tell you this. This is the saline abortion technique. It burns soft tissue, attacks tissue in the digestive tract, causes seizures and hemorrhaging of the brain and other organs. Are we any different? All for the sake of convenience. And yet, much of the church believes that this is okay. And a high percentage of the Abortions are on women who profess Christianity. The cost was God tore away his kingdom. That part of that destiny was taken away from Solomon. I want you to think about something. Think about the influence you have. As pastors, as leaders in our government, when we allow these influences to influence our, it's not just us, it affects, it's all the people that we influence The cities, the nations, the church members, your family members, your children, your grandchildren. I'm telling you, you can't get anything by grandchildren. You can talk out of one side of your mouth and live out of the other and they're going to see it. Another example, Jehoshaphat was a good king following the ways of his father Asa. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. That's wonderful, but he did not tear down the pagan shrines. And the people never fully committed themselves to follow the God of their ancestors. Do you see the connection here? Because Jehoshaphat failed to to tear down the pagan shrines, the people never committed themselves to follow God. You see how important your influence is? Why can't my children, why aren't my grandchildren acting like this? What kind of influence are we giving? At the end of the day, they have their own choice. We understand that. But still, can can our influence be great enough that it's going to cause them to think twice? It should be. I don't mind my, if I, I'll tell you, I'll just run it down their throat if I have to. Uh, Our granddaughter, you know, she, I think I told you she broke her arm playing, trying to learn how to skateboard. And so the first report was broken in two places with some kind of something bleeding in there. It was, didn't sound good. So, and so they did a partial cast and we prayed and, and all that. And then she goes back to the doctor yesterday and they said, well, I don't know what happened, but. It's really just a slight fracture, and said, "You just maybe wear a sling a couple of weeks." I said, "Lily, we've been praying for you." I know, I know. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, she's going to know that we've been praying for her. Uzziah, son of Amaziah, began to rule over Judah in the twenty seventh year of the reign of King Jeroboam the second of Israel. He was sixteen years old when he became a king, and he reigned in Jerusalem fifty two years. His mother was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. But he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. Listen to this: and God struck him with leprosy. I mean, I mean, I hadn't gone back into the Hebrew language, but based on these verses, it's bop 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 like that. Uzziah didn't tear down the shrines. God struck him with leprosy. He had it the rest of his life, and he had to co-rule with his son. Lost your destiny. Sickness, prolonged sickness. Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did everything that Father Uzziah had done, but he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. He rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. See what the influence. Joash began to rule over Judah in the seventh year of King Jehu's reign in Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem 40 years, and all his life, Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight because Jehoiada. The priest instructed him, yet even so, he did not destroy the pagan shrine. And the people still offer sacrifices and burned incense there. My question is, is it possible to do things that please God, but yet not please God? We can go through the motions, right? Right? So we have King Asa who did what was pleasing. I don't have this on the slide, but he did what was pleasing in God's sight. He tore down all the shrines. He had peaceful reign. Josiah did what was pleasing. He tore down all the pagan shrines, all the rebuilt. He he reestablished uh, Passover. And he was a prosperous, successful king until he decided not to listen to the voice of the Lord in the end. And he went to battle when he shouldn't have gone to battle and he was killed. A spouse can do many things that pleases their spouse. They can mow the grass and take out the trash, pay the bills. But that doesn't mean their heart's with them. See, you can have a heart that's devoted to other things and still go through the motions. You can have a heart that's devoted to other things and go through the motions to to appear to do good things. I believe these things were symbolic of what the people today worship. I really do. Because they were after, these gods, this is what they promised, good fortune, good health, protection, convenience, all of these things. Everything God promised, they promised. And they were just going through the motions. Well, that's all Old Testament. How about New Testament? I bet there's nothing in the New Testament. I bet you there is. Matthew 7 21, I hope you leave here excited because we don't have to be this way. See, if we leave here beaten down, it's only because we haven't dealt with our stuff. See, God only exposes to heal us. He wants to get rid of the stuff because he realizes what it does and how it cripples us. See, he has a plan for you to be prosperous and healthy and successful. So when we have things in our life that are polluting our heart, God can't work through that. And so we can lose our destiny just as Solomon lost his destiny. You might have limited, so you might be hobbling along. You might be never being able to make things work. Never getting rid of that sickness. Never getting rid of that poverty. Never getting rid of those generational cycles in your family. By the way, Luke 4, 16, starting Thursday. Another commercial. Matthew 7, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. Now, who does that sound like? That sounds like, man, we see, saw people doing it. Wouldn't we think, man, these people are really in tune with God. These people have got it together. They must be on their face all the time before God. But he says, but I'm going to reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So we can be doing the things that please God, but yet not please God. And what is that law? Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, What is the most important commandment in the law of God, the law of Moses? He replied, Love God with all your heart, pure devotion to God, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. That's what he said. See, we can do what we do. You can come to church. I can stand behind this pulpit every Sunday and not please God. If my heart is filled with with pagan idols. If my heart is, you know, let me explain what that means. It's the word S-E-L-F. That's where the pagan idols find their founder. S-E-L-F, self. self Self-will. Self-love. Self-glorification. Convenience. Anything that feeds me. How are we doing? How are you doing? Really? Let me ask you this. If you're not praying for the sick and they're recovering, if you're not casting out demons, you're not doing good. Don't deceive yourself. If you're not winning the lost, if you're not carrying the glory of God into a place and seeing transformation, don't deceive yourself. That was the life of the apostles. Coming to church doesn't make it all right. We know what we possess by the power that goes out of us. I'm just telling you what I've been telling me, what we've been talking about for weeks. We have opportunity with thousands of people every year, and we're asking ourselves, what are we really doing with them? What are we really doing with them? Jesus said a few will find the way because it's so narrow. And that's offensive to many believers because I'm under grace. You should be under the blood. And we've made that path so broad and so acceptable that it's a blind leading the blind and everybody's falling in the ditch. So how do we define the gods of our heart? I want to ask you, how do you define the gods of your heart? Number one, and here again, you may come up with other things. These are just things that I thought of. A God is what we pursue, spend our time on, chase after. Look at your calendar and look at your checkbook and you'll know who your God is. It's what we pursue, what we spend our time on, what we chase after. If a person sleeps eight hours a day, they work eight hours a day, they spend eight hours a day on electronics, there's not a whole lot of room for God, is there? Say, well, I'm I'm seeking out God on electronics. Well, maybe. I doubt it. I'm just telling you what I have lived. Number two, a God is anything that we think about most. What fills our mind? What do we think about the most? A God is what controls our time, our money, and our energy. See, sometimes it's the very thing God gives us that become our idols. Our businesses can become our idol. Our church can become an idol. Our homes can become an idol. Our children can become an idol. Our families can become an idol. They're good things. They start out good things, but what do they do? They steal our heart away. A God is what we run to in times of stress, distress, and weariness. I joke all the time about going to the refrigerator, to the freezer every time i get stressed out unfortunately it's not a, it's not a joke <laughs> what do we go to we unfortunately work with a lot of people that run to porn and this is what they when i get lonely i go to porn when i get stressed out i go to porn others will go to marijuana we were in a conference a couple weekends ago, and one of the doctors that was in the conference from California, it was said, do you treat somebody who smokes marijuana? He said, everybody smokes marijuana in California. He said, of course I do. But everybody, he kept saying, everybody smokes marijuana in California. I know he was being a little bit facetious, but I guess all his clients that come to him, they come to him because he's a psychiatrist, because they, you know, they need something. But what do we run to? Food. Television, entertainment, electronics. A God always has a spiritual force operating behind it, driving us for more and more and more. And a God causes us to run to it instead of to Yahweh God. Leviticus 19.4, it said, Do not put your trust in idols or make metal images of gods for yourself, for I am the Lord your God. See, God wants to be our idol. Isaiah 2.8 says their land is full of idols. The so people worship things they have made with their own hands. And then later it says they have become just like them. Okay, now get your steel-toed shoes on. I wore mine. It gets worse. It gets better. And I just titled this heart attacks. Where do we have heart attacks? False gods of the heart. And I, you know, I like to do things in acronyms or letters. So I just, I say three Ps. We have gods of pleasure. Gods of pleasure. Now, is pleasure a good thing? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's not even anything wrong with the things that are included in this list I'm giving you here. But when they become, begin to take the place of God, there's a problem with them. Pleasure like food. Sex. See, all of these things have their boundaries in healthy ways. But when we go outside of the boundaries of God, they become idols because we're in rebellion saying, God, I'm doing it my way. Entertainment, that's a biggie. Hollywood, I'm telling you the biggest, I think the biggest idol in our nation, and it's coming down is sports. I really do. People are consumed with sports. They are consumed with sports. Sports hours in front of sport, you know, they'll control their family time, their church time by, well, I can't be at church today because the Panthers are playing. Well, who cares what the Panthers are doing? Right? How about, I remember when our kids were growing up, they, they had the decency never to have practice or games on Wednesdays or Sundays. And I remember the first time someone, when I was here in this church, I wasn't even on staff, but they were talking about, they weren't going to be there because they were driving so-and-so to take their child to participate in in some kind of sports conference on Sunday morning. And I, said, I thought to myself, something's not right with this. And you said yes? Why wouldn't you say no? We're not going to participate in this. Fantasies. That's, that's things that go on in the mind. And the fantasies can bring pleasure. You know, there's fantasies of perversion, but there's also fantasies of victimization. You can fantasize about being the victim because you're comfortable being the victim seduction, emotion, comfort. So God's of pleasure. Number two is God's of power, achievement, money, success, pride, being around influential people, name-dropping all the time. I know so-and-so. I'm with this person. I'm with that person. I have this much money. I have this kind of success. Look what I've done. And it's all based on pride. And then the God of purpose. That's lost identity. That's when we're pursuing some, we're pursuing fame and notoriety. When we start pursuing fame and notoriety, that means God's not getting the glory. Even spiritual gifts, even the spiritual gifts. Well, I'm a prophet. I told you I had one come in the church and the first thing I said he said to me was, "I'm a prophet." I just want you to know I'm a prophet. And I thought, "That's interesting." And I said, "I'll check you out." My dog was more prophetic. Seriously. If you got to say it, you don't have it. Right? I'm getting, Deborah's getting happy over there. If we have to boast about our gifts, the Bible says your gifts will find you. Your gifts will bring you before kings. Right? Even church. See, your purpose is not, my purpose is not to be pastor of impact. My purpose is to serve God. And in that, my works flow out of that. That's my purpose. And if those of on staff know that the church is not number one in my life, God is number one. My husband is number two and the church is somewhere down there. And if we got those things in right order, things will flow as they should. So how do I know? Let me go back and say one thing. Identity is only found in God. Your identity is only found in God if you're running around looking for somebody to affirm your identity, you need to get in your prayer closet, right? There's nothing wrong with affirmation, but if you have to have it, there's a problem. There's a problem. The devil still has a piece of you that he hasn't let go of yet. How do I know? Ask yourself how much time, resources, thought, and energy do I give to anything compared to God? You have to answer this for yourself. We're all different. We all have our. We're, we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. How much time, resources, thought, and energy do I give to other things compared to God? Do these things. I got does these things. Do these things. Do these bring glory to God or to self? I listen for how many times somebody uses the word I. I, 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 me, I. Is it furthering the kingdom of God? Or is it furthering our kingdom? Yes, absolutely. Say that. Yes. Because you're casting out devils, you're healing the sick, you're doing miracles. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. And the other thing is, am I in rebellion to what the word of God says? 1 Samuel 15, this is what Samuel said to Saul. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as, as bad as worshiping idols. So what do we do? When we are, when we are in sin and when we are willfully disobeying god we're in rebellion and stubbornness it's the same as witchcraft and idolatry we're saying that what i want is more important than what he wants and then we're saying god why are not we getting prayers answered why are my children running like this why am i finances falling apart why can't i break these generational curses why are these cycles of sickness in my life because we have things in us that we've given the devil authority parts of us belong to him And rebellion makes excuses for sinning against God. Let me just give you an example. Abortion. How many times have we heard, well, I just can't afford to have a child. We should have thought about that before you laid down with somebody, right? Well, it's going to interfere with my career. You should have thought about that before. Well, God would really not want me to go through this. You don't know your word. But God wants a child torn from limb to limb. His organs burned. His skin burned. Just so you can be convenient. How about immorality? How many times have I heard this? Well, We can live cheaper together than alone. You need to get married. How about homosexuality? Well, God made me this way. No, he didn't. Now, we in the scriptures that say God made man and man. He made man and woman. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right? It's idolatry and itself self on the throne and we're going to destroy the idols. I'm going to tell you, this has really been working on us. You know, we have to be careful. If we're not seeing everything the Bible promises, God's not the problem. And we can live in a culture like this Western Christianity that we've been taught so wrong for so long that we justify everything. You go to pray for the sick. Well, they had sin in their life where they would have been healed. Well, I believe Jesus forgave their sins and healed the sick. Right? So we need to destroy the idols. I want you to stand, if you will. Take a snapshot of this, if you will. Just go ahead and put it all up, if you don't mind. Dan, I have a video I'm ending with, by the way. But I'll need you later in a second, okay? Number one, we pray and ask God to reveal anything more important than he is in our life. And these idols may have begun innocently. Innocently desiring to serve God in ministry or whatever it might be. But now it's become an idol. It's causing me to compromise. It's causing me not to give God full devotion. It's causing me to be more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. So we need to say, God, reveal to us. Let's just open our hearts. God, I ask you to reveal to every one of us anything in our hearts that's more important than you. God, we're not satisfied with mediocre Christianity. We're not satisfied with Western Christianity. God, forgive us for making our toys more important than you. Number two, repent of allowing these things to have taken control of your heart and your life. God, forgive us. That we have allowed these things and generally through pride to take root in our hearts and in our lives. Through brokenness that we have refused to heal. God, we ask you to forgive us and Lord cleanse us. Cleanse us, Lord, of this unrighteousness. Renounce any demonization that you've allowed into your life through these idolatrous activities. We're taking away the authority of the enemy. The enemy has nothing in us that we haven't given him authority for. The devil can't work in your life unless you let him in and give him authority. We're not sitting ducks for the devil, by the way. We're not sitting targets for the devil. The causeless curse does not come. It comes whenever we open a door and we give the devil legal right to be there. And I'll tell you, a big key is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a major thing. Willful acts of sinning against the word of God. Doing what we know is wrong justifying it in our own minds or through our culture. So, devil, we renounce any authority that has been given to you. We pluck you up by the root out of our lives. We have repented of that open door. We command it to be closed in Jesus' name. And you have no authority. We renounce any subsequent demonization that may occur. We break off the consequences in our generational lines, our children and our grandchildren. We break off those consequences. And God, we pray that great is a peace of our children. They're all taught of you, holy God. And we declare it because you said if we pray anything according to your will, it'll be done. And God, it is your will that our children serve you. So we are coming into agreement with your word. We declare it over our children. We break off demonization. We take away any authority the enemy has in their lives in Jesus' mighty name. And number four, we remove these idols. Joshua 24 said, destroy the idols and return to God. You decide what they are. You have to make that decision. If you're sitting in front of the TV and the computer for eight hours a day, turn the dumb thing off, right? Get rid of it if you have to. Get rid of it. Cut your cable. I have siblings, one's not here today. I don't know if he does this, but my other, a couple other siblings had all these sports, thing. I mean, I don't know how much they spent every month on sports channels, just because they were scared that they were going to miss a sports game. We got them straightened out on that, though. So cut off those things. Get rid of those idols. You know what's robbing you. I believe everything in moderation. There's nothing wrong with sitting and watching a football game, but if you have to watch eight hours a day, if it's on your mind when you get up and when you go to bed, and if your whole family life is sitting around the tube watching ball games or soap operas or whatever it might be, get a life. There's people out there that need to hear the good news, right? Yeah. And besides that, what kind of example are we setting when, when our grandchildren come over and Mimi and Papa and Grandpa and Grandma are sitting in front of the television the whole time they're there? The very thing that mom and dad uses to babysit them with, we see now where it came from, right? got to get destroy the idols and return to the lord see we need to quit we need to quit making time for god we need to quit working it out we need to give him time and make time for the other things number 5 we need to receive the freedom of god through christ and make a declaration that we will serve only god god we declare we're going to serve only you god reveal the idols of our heart we repent oh god Of allowing these things to take place in our lives. God, we want to be about the Father's business. And I don't think it's sitting in front of a TV, in front of a computer. I don't think it's any of this stuff, Father God. God, we want to be fully effective as the apostles were. We can walk by people in the shadow, heal the sick. Because the presence of God is so strong in our life. For the glory of God, Lord, we want to be those living gateways. But you precede that by saying, who's going to do that? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Their heart is pure of idolatry. It's rid of all idolatry. God, we want our hearts so pure. We want to be like Jesus. That The devil has nothing in me. Nothing in me belongs to him. He has no power over me. That's why Jesus walked in the power and the authority that he walked in. So I'm going to cl- Now, we're going to do communion in a minute. But I want to close this part of this service with a song. And I want you to examine your hearts as you listen to this song, please.
1: Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations, too, until the congregations few and half revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social Seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can Sing all you want to You can sing all you want to Still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song Take a break from all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life Until the pride and lust and lies are in the open Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard Until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to, you can sing all you want to, and still get it wrong, oh worship is more than a song, we must not worship something that's not even worth it. To the stage Make some space For the one who Deserves it Anything I put Before my God Is an idol Anything I want With My heart is an idol. And anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. And anything that I give all my love is an idol. Cause I can sing all I want to Yes, I can sing all I want to Clear the stage and set the sound in light's glaze.
0: That's the measure you must take to crush the idols. It's the measure we must take to crush the idols. Let's grab our communion elements. I'm like the worship team they would return to the stage. I know you had the one song that you've yet to sing. Let me tell you, God's plan for you is to be incredibly blessed, incredibly prosperous, incredibly healthy, to live a long life, to be fruitful and multiply. That's Genesis one twenty-seven, twenty-eight. 28. That's God's plan for you, for all of us. So when we don't see that, we have to ask ourselves if we're going to be intelligent Christians, why are we not seeing these things happening? And you might say, well, I'm doing pretty good. No, you're not. Not according to Bible standards. If you're not raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons, expanding the kingdom of God, you're living your own kingdom. And this would probably wouldn't go over many churches, by the way. But we're not many churches. I just happen to believe that we can experience everything the Word of God says. I believe it with all my heart. And I will not be satisfied till I see it. And I'm telling you, we're not there yet. I'm not there yet. We're constantly examining our heart. I'm just going to be real transparent. We're constantly examining our heart. We've established a board with all that we have going on in our community to hold us accountable for our hearts. That's something we've just done recently. We told them recently, we want you to get in our face if you see our priorities shift. If you see us start chasing one thing and not chasing God, we want you in our face. Because this is not about us, this is about Him. And when God has given each of us responsibilities, We keep hearing, steward it well, steward it well, steward it well. See, we don't want to lose the destiny God has for us. We're that serious. And I know many of you are too. I know many of you. I know your hearts.
2: Before this message this morning, I woke up at 6 o'clock. And I sat on the edge of the bed and in a split second. And it probably only lasted three or four seconds, but God literally showed me everything. You know how he does. He can show you eternity in seconds. But he showed me in a few seconds everything that we have our hands on. And like you said, the literally thousands of people's lives that we have access to every year. And we're doing good things. But he said, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Because we could do great things for the kingdom of God and still fall short of the best plan. Because God's got a magnificent plan for all of our lives. But He showed me how easy it is to do significant things for Him that He's pleased with and still not fulfill everything He's got for us. That was before the sermon. The sermon's wrecked me. Thank you. But uh, it's done me a lot of good. Self-examination. We can do so much, but he's got such a great future for us. But I, but in that three or four seconds, he just said, there, there can be little crevices in your heart that aren't mine. I want that, and I want that one. Little places, I want it all. You then, may have
0: forgotten this, but several years ago, you can correct all the part I get wrong, I don't know how long ago. It's been several years ago. You were in our den or something, and you were on the sofa, and this glass came down.
2: It was literally, I was... You were in...
0: Texas or somewhere. Alaska.
2: Alaska. Alaska. Some ladies doing whatever That's y'all do.
0: Then. That's <laughs> how long ago it was. Been.
2: I was in the den on the sofa, just lying there. It was dark outside, and I was just lying there. It had a little light in, in the room, and suddenly a window pane, four by four panes came down. I saw it in the ceiling and I saw through the glass and I saw the sky and I'm in the the house. There is no sky. And suddenly the window started pressing coming down toward me and I'm watching it and watching looking through it and seeing blue sky and clouds. I'm thinking, I'm in the den. This is really interesting. But it got closer and closer and closer. Until it got so close, I literally started squirming on the sofa because it was pressing me so hard it was uncomfortable. And then it literally got on top of me and pressed me. And he said, I want it all. I want everything. We, we We think we've given up everything, but have we? That's a personal question for all of us to answer. I have to answer it myself every day.
0: So I want to use this time of communion as a time to make a fresh commitment, confirmation to God that God, yes, we want to be an open book. We want our hearts fully exposed. Reveal everything in us. Even those secret things that we don't, we're not even aware of. Dig deep inside and pull out those things where the enemy has some degree of likeness in us. or some attachment to us. There's zero room for pride. There's zero room for self. There's only room for God in us hearts. The heart was created only for God and for no one else and nothing else. So let's partake. that Jesus' broken body is represented by this wafer. He was broken. He was perceived that we could be totally and completely healed and whole. Spirit, soul, and body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the blood that represents what you have done for us. God, that you gave us back the ability to have relationship. Lord, that we could no longer walk as the old man, but we could walk as the new man empowered by Holy Spirit. God, that we could walk in the authority and the power and the love that you have given us to walk in. God, that we can have every day of our, our book that you have written fulfilled in our lives because of the blood of Jesus. God, that we would fulfill and glorify God from a willing heart. God, thank you for the blood to partake of the juice. Now, as the worship team sings, I just want to open the front and I just want you to ask God, whatever you want to ask Him, but reveal to me, God, anything in my heart, anything in my life that could prohibit you from giving me the full blessing the full authority from walking as I'm supposed to walk. Jesus. In power and authority. I want you ask God those questions. Because we're going to leave here a powerhouse for God.